Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin there again. 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Peter chapter 1. We've been talking about godliness and I want to kind of wrap it up this morning and finish where we left off. I'm not going to take time to kind of review a lot of it, but I want to hit some highlights because I want to refresh everybody's memory. I want us to remember what godliness is. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Therefore I remind you, I'm sorry. Everybody was like, what? What's he reading up? 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm in 2 Timothy. Let me turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. That's what we endeavor to do. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for some things. All things having promise of the life that is to come. Is everybody awake this morning? Having promise of what life? This life or just the life to come? Now, it is profitable for all things and it is for this life as well as the life is to come. So we reminded you last week that godliness comes from a Greek word which means piety towards God, which simply means proper honor and respect and reverence. It's giving the highest degree of reverence and respect and honor to God. That's godliness. That's the beginning of godliness. You can have all the form of godliness, which we're going to get to in just a minute, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Go there real quick because I want to read that. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, children, kids. Did y'all get that one? Unthankful, unholy. We don't consider unthankful in the same category as lovers of money, do we? Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. So if you can have a form of godliness, that means it can have the appearance of proper honor, proper respect, with uh, uh, giving the highest degree and the highest form within ourselves of honor and respect towards God. If we can have, if you can have godliness, and that is the definition of godliness, then you can also have a form. There are those that have a form of that godliness. It looks right. It's, it, it, it appears right. It smells right. But there's something that's not clicking with that godliness. <clears throat> godliness is not just an external 
um, manifestation of proper habits and actions and words. Godliness is having a proper respect and honor and devotion to God Almighty. That's what, that's what godliness is. When we say, I'm a godly person, <clears throat> what does that mean to be a godly person? Well, I, I tithe and I don't say no cuss words and I do good and I'm an honorable person. I, I abide by my word. <clears throat> um, but what about in reference to your relationship with God Almighty? Do you uh, give Him the proper honor and respect? Do you devote everything entirely with your being to honor and respect and reverence God and everything about God? So you can have a form of godliness, but then keep on reading, what does it say? But deny its, what's, what power? The power of godliness. We, we live in a works mentality, okay? We, we live in an atmosphere, especially in church, where works is what matters. Works is what matters. That's what, that's what people tell us. That's what we have come to believe. And so everything that is within us, we endeavor to work. We endeavor to work and attain our godliness through our actions and our works. But that's not what God intended. Because we cannot do that. When uh, the Ten Commandments came down to man, that proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that man could not fulfill the law that was of holiness and godliness. The reason why... Uh, people struggle. You show me someone who struggles with, uh, with their life. So me, show me someone who struggles with their flesh. Show me someone who struggles with um, <clears throat> right attitude. Show me someone who's got all things. And I, I guarantee you, you can trace it back to some form of degree of their lacking a proper honor and respect and reverence to God. We talked about the fear of God. In the, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the word fear has three definitions. The first one is reverence. The second one is awe. Do you know what awe is? That means that the glory of God was to manifest itself in a very tangible and natural way. None of us would be able to stand on our feet. We'd have to bow before that. Because that's an, it's an awe. It's, it's a weightiness. The glory of God, when you begin to study the glory of God in the Greek and in the Hebrew, you'll find that the glory of God means a weightiness. It's a heaviness. It's a substance. It's, a, it's the atmosphere, the very presence of God. And when that glory comes upon you, you have no choice but to do this. Because you're in awe. You ever, <clears throat> you ever walked up to a very large and huge skyscraper or building and you're just like, man, you're in awe at how someone could build something so magnificent. You ever been to the uh, Expo? Any of you have ever been to the Moultrie Expo? Yeah, a couple of you. You ever been next to one of those huge 
corn combines that are just, the tires are taller than you are, and you stand in that thing and you go, man, that is a big machine. It's, you're kind of in awe of that. You ever been to the zoo or been around one of the wild animals like a lion and you heard a lion roar or you heard a, you've seen an elephant up close and you're in awe because you, you're seeing, you're in the presence of one of God's creations, but it's, it's magnificent, it's huge. What do you think we would do if God Himself manifested Himself That is awe. And the third definition of fear is terror. The first two definitions are always used of God. The last definition is never used in reference to God. We are not to be afraid and scared of God, but we are to reverence Him and to be in awe of Him. And it's an attitude of the heart. And because it's an attitude of the heart, then as a result of the attitude of the heart, then the manifestation of our works and our actions and our thoughts, what we think, what we say, and what we do, reflect that attitude of awe and reverence and respect. That's godliness. So, those who have a form of honor and respect... and a direct reverence towards God, but deny that the results of that honor and that respect and that awe towards God, they deny the power of that godliness at work in their life. I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I mess up, the Holy Spirit convicts me. Now, I can turn away from that, and I can resist that, and I can continue to resist that. And the Bible calls that waxing, waxing old, meaning you just put layers and layers of wax over that thing where you don't sense it anymore. But, but listen to me, I don't care who you are, I don't care how much you've done, I don't care how long you've waxed it, it's still there. You can't cover it up. And so when I do something or when I say something or, I mean, when, when, I, when, when I have the Lord say to me, you're wrong, you need to apologize. I can choose to walk away from that unction. But because of my awe and my reverence and devoting everything entirely to Him and to, that, to serving Him and to the, the devotion to Him, it's hard to do that and sleep at night. Am I the only one? It's hard to show up at church after you've been arguing with your wife or your husband and enter into the presence of God. Maybe, maybe that's why some of you never took off the runway this morning. No, we, we, had, to, we, had, to, uh, we had to get some things right this morning. I had to get some things right this morning with her. Because I wasn't about to walk in. I mean, y'all, might, y'all would have been preacher-less this morning. Because there ain't no use in me walking in there with that on me because I have a terrible poker face with her. People, you can sense it. You can see it sometimes. Well, this way you get it right because that's godliness. Godliness is not always doing the right thing, always doing, always being perfect, but it's having the reverential respect and awe towards God and that's the power that enables us to walk out this holy life. The word form means outward semblance, godliness. Denying, rather, in the Greek it means having denied, that is, renounced, the power, the living, regenerating, sanctifying influence of that godliness. And so we turn away. 
implying that such, some of such characters, forerunners of the last days, were already in the church. Paul was speaking to the church and he said, there are those in your midst that have a form of godliness but deny its power and from such turn away. That means they see it, they recognize it, but they make a conscious decision to turn away from that regenerating, sanctifying power influenced in their life. Such godliness is a sham and devoid of any real power. I'm just reading some scholars. Is it okay? To break the power of sin. Well, pastor, you know, I just, I'm struggling. I just, I can't get free from this sin. Then bring your sin to that cross right there and get on your knees and worship and honor and give reverence to God. And you tell me when you get up off your knees if that thing doesn't break its power on you. Well, what about tomorrow when I do it again? Then you bring it and you get right back in front of that cross. The power to break the sin in your life and my life, the power to get victory in our life is this. Not this. Having a form of godliness. No, it's allowing the power of that reverence and that awe. See, God gives honor to whom honor is due. When we honor Him, then He bestows honor and power and great things upon us to enable us. It's the power that works within us. He said, work out your salvation. How do we work out our salvation? Lord, I don't always know what the right thing is to do. It's like that old, uh, one of the old Catholic priests prayed in the, uh, in the early 18th century. So, Lord, I don't always know what the right thing is to do but I think, the thing, I think the reason that I want to please you pleases you. Lord, I don't, I don't always know what is the right decision. I don't always know what is the right thing. But my heart is open. And all I want to do is please the Lord. Is that your heart this morning? To please the Lord? Don't, don't, don't. That's why he said there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because that condemnation doesn't come to those who have that heart open and say, Lord, I'm yours and you're mine. And even though I messed up, that's what the blood of Jesus is for. So, I mean, you forgave me before I even asked for you to forgive me. Can I say this? You know, 1 John, if we are confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but you know that wasn't written to believers. That was written to Jewish people. That particular section of that verse. How should we confess the sins that have already been forgiven us? No, we just walk in holiness. We walk in righteousness and give that all. And so when, we, when our heart smotes us, when the Spirit of God convicts us, we say, Father, thank you that you have cleansed me from all unrighteousness. Thank you that you've forgiven me. And we go and we make it right to that person. Or we make it right to an individual. That's godliness. Let me give you four things that godliness will ensure. At least four things that I know from a scriptural standpoint that godliness will ensure in your life. You ready? Number one is protection. Number two is promotion. Number three is perpetuity or longevity. And number four is prosperity. The first one is protection. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. 
the angel of the Lord. Not just an angel. I mean, we're, they're all angels of the Lord. But we're talking about the angel of the Lord that encamps around about us and protects us. Why? Because we fear Him? Because we're terrified of Him? Because we're scared of Him? No, because we honor and we reference Him. Psalm 125.2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. Well, you know, that's Old Testament. That's why He stuck that forevermore in there. Psalm 91, this is one of my favorites. I want you to turn there. Turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then that means this portion of Scripture that is referencing God and His character and His attributes apply to us today. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you. Boy, that sounds familiar. That sounds like the uh, angel of the Lord encamping around about you. So you got the angel of the Lord, then you got other angels encamped around about you. Boy, you just covered, we covered all over. To keep you in some of your ways. Is that what it said? But I thought that sometimes things happen And it just is what it is. You know, the best scholars, the best religious people in the world that try to give give a, a scriptural basis for things that happen in your life as a result of God, that's the best they can come up with. Well, you know that all things happen for a purpose. That's not even in Scripture. It says that we know that God, we know that in all things God works. See, there's a difference. It didn't say that in all things God causes and then works. He said, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Because He has set His love upon me, therefore I will deliver Him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Ephesians 6.10 
says this. It says, finally, brethren, put on the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritually hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. He's given us weapons. He's given us armor. And yet we think that God doesn't sometimes desire or in His foreknowledge or in His omnipotent will that protection is not guaranteed. No, protection is ours. Protect, say that with me. Protection is mine. According to the Word of God. Well, you know, this thing happened to me last year or this thing happened to me yesterday or this thing happened to me a couple of years ago. I don't know all the answers. But I knew, though, that we don't always get it right. And I know that if something doesn't line up with God's Word, now this is a big step for immature Christians, but none of y'all, none of them go here, right? Mature Christians go, you know what, I have my situation and circumstance and I have the Word of God. I'm just going to throw that out. Well, I don't feel like it. But the Word says this, well, I don't listen to my feelings. I'm not going to talk about it this morning, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he said, you are carnally minded. At the time... When you should be eating meat and strong meat, you have need that someone still feeds you the milk of the Word because you're not able to bear the meat of the Word. Why? Because we keep doing this. My feelings. What does a child do? What does a baby do? They go back to their feelings. The way I feel. The way I feel. The way I feel. The way I feel. That's not adulthood. That's childish, carnally mindedness. No, we, we, take, we take this word, and I just, we just gave five, and I'm fixing to give you the last one, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We take these words, and we say, Lord, this is your word right here. Is this just as much a part of the Bible as any other part of the Bible? Godliness will ensure protection. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. He's talking about being carnally minded. I fed you with milk and not solid food. For until now you were not able. Verse 2, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. So then he goes on and he says, So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. They're arguing. Well, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. Does that sound familiar? Well, I go to this church (laughs) and I go to that church. Oh, wait, I'm (laughs) non-denominational. No, you are denominational. Your denomination is called non-denominational. No, I'm a believer. Well, I'm Methodist, I'm Baptist. <clears throat> One of my good friends is a Baptist minister. We had lunch the other day, and we got to talking about some stuff. And iron was sharpening iron. Well, I can't relate to you because you're Baptist. I mean, he likes me, and he knows where I pastor, and he knows what we believe. <clears throat> 
And yet he still wants to be seen in public with me. And I love it. Because it's tearing down those stupid, absurd walls of religiousness. First Corinthians, that's where we're at. So he says this. It's God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters is one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. Let me ask you something. Do you let your own field go to waste? Do you let your own house go to waste? If it's yours... You endeavor to keep up with it and keep it and protect it, right? Is anybody in here going to just let anybody come up in their house? Should I tell that story? The other morning, <clears throat> we had someone spend the night with us and they got up because they had to go to work early and they got up and left at about 4.30 in the morning. Well, our bedroom door was open, which is never open. We usually shut it when we have company. But it was open that morning and I forgot all about it. All about it. And I heard the door open and the chime go off. And I'm telling y'all, it was like Liam Nielsen. Just take it. I'm like, I've acquired a special set of skills during my life. You know what I'm saying? I will find you. And when I find you, I will pray for you and lay hands on you. But all I remember is jumping up out of the bed and I said, and I said out of my mouth, it was just, I didn't mean to do it. I wasn't trying to do it. It just was a reaction. I said, who is in my house? Or who that is or something. What did I say? I said, who's at the door? Because I heard that I'm 4.30 and I'm knocked out of sleep. And I heard the chime go off. And I go, who's, who's in the house at the door? And I said it that loud. It woke everybody up and I walked out to the door and I opened it. And there, there, there that person was getting ready to go. And I said, you lucky. You about to get shot. Because I had forgotten all about. But now I'm natural. I'm trying to protect my, my, I mean, somebody's in my house. I ain't thinking, oh, I should call 911 or whatever. No, I was making a beeline. And as I opened the door, I was reaching up to the top of the cabinet to grab my pistol. Because I was like, boy, you picked the wrong day and the wrong house. Because I am tired and you don't woke me up. Who is that in my house? I mean, it just... Who that is? <laughs> Who that? Who is at my door? Who is in my house? And done it woke everybody up. There was no fear. There was no hesitancy. There was nothing. I mean, she was like, well, what you going to do? I said, I don't know, but they're going to be more. I, I don't know. I'm going to launch into something and believe that a jawbone's lying around somewhere. But I mean, I just, that was my natural reaction. Nobody, it, it wasn't, it wasn't premeditated, it wasn't thought about and her natural, her natural response was, honey, who is that? What's going on? My natural response is to go out and kill something and bring it home. I mean, that's the way God created So I got up and I just naturally did that. Now if I did that, don't you think that God wants to protect His house and His field? Any of you farmers have been around farming? You plant your seed and you just let it go. You don't water it. You don't, you don't nourish it. You don't sure don't protect it. You don't look after it. No, they got all kind of chemicals and things you stick in the ground and on the plants to keep the bugs and, and you know, all these things. They put fences around them so, you know, 
You understand what I'm saying? And that's a very natural example. Don't you believe that God desires and He will protect you and guard you and send His angels to encamp around about His beloved? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He created you and fashioned you after His image. He created you. He's not going to let you go. But religion will tell you that. I am God's house. Say that with me. I am God's house. He will protect His house. Call 911. Shoot. Call Elohim. 1-800, you picked the wrong person. Angels? You know, we can't see angels, but they're there. You can't see oxygen either, but you breathe it. We got to discussing some of that in our young adult group one night. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, I, I, can't, I can't see it. I don't understand it. So how am I supposed to believe it? Can you see wind? Can you see the effects? You can feel the wind, but you can't see it. You can't see oxygen, but you breathe it. You can't see love. Prove that you love one another. Prove to me that love exists in your heart, even though it's a force. Say, God is love. That is God. God is love. You can't see it. You can't prove it. I mean, you can't touch it. It's not tangible, but you can see the effects of it, and you can feel it. Number two is promotion. Joshua 1.8. I want you to turn there. I want you to see this. Joshua 1.8. Joshua, along with Caleb, was two of the ten spies that went into the promised land and came back and gave a good report. Right? I mean, yeah. The rest of them said, no, nah, man, it's too... We'll just stay here in the desert. It's fine. It's too much. We can't overcome. Did you see them giants? And Joshua, what I like about Joshua and Caleb, if they go, no, 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 no. Yes, we can slay those giants because we have God on our side. Anybody else is like, no, we can't do it. It's too much. It's too big. The grapes were so large that it took two men to carry a cluster of grapes because they weighed so much. I don't know the last time you went to the grocery store but I go to the pub. We love grapes. I go to Publix and see grapes, and I ain't had to have another person help me carry them yet. That's, that, that's fruitfulness right there. And they said, no, we can do it. So then you know the story. All the children of Israel had to die off because they were disobedient to the Lord. Now, if you research this, you'll understand that most scholars can't specifically narrow down how old Joshua was. But they can narrow down this. When the Lord said, all of anyone that is uh, uh, over the age of 20 must pass away before you can enter the promised land. And he said, except Joshua and Caleb. So we know that they were at least 20 or younger when God came and said the promise. And then they what? 40 years later, 
Think about that. You were the one that stood up and said, yeah, we can do this. We got this. And you got to wait for everybody else to die. So Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Forty years later, Joshua's in charge and the Lord said, Be encouraged. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Somebody say patience. The word prosperous means to break forth, to rush forth, to come through. As, as a dam bursts with water, that is the definition of prosperous. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may burst forth and be blessed even as your soul prospers. That's what First John, 3 John says. Right here he said, if you will meditate on it, don't let it depart from your mouth, but observe to do everything that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Who will make your way prosperous? You. How? Because you have meditated, you have spoken. And that word meditate in the original means to ponder by talking to yourself. (laughs) So talking to yourself ain't always a bad thing. (laughs) You meditate on this word and you speak it to yourself because that's where the life... He said if you will do this, this is a principle of the word of God. If you will do this and apply it to your life. Now this is old covenant. The Bible says, the prophets of old said, a day is coming when I will write my law upon their hearts. The word of God is already the the life of God. that, That godliness that is within you empowers us to do this. And so we study, we meditate, We read the Word of God, but it's the power that is within us that enables us to do these things. The word good success means to act with insight, to be prudent, to give insight, to teach. It means able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. So if we do this and we apply it to our life, then He will give us the ability to deal wisely in the affairs of life. What are the affairs of life? Your mortgage, your insurance, your children, your family. Lord knows we need it. Your family, your work, your church. What's wrong with your truck? What's wrong with your car? What's wrong with your husband? What's wrong with your wife? All that stuff is the affairs of life. What's wrong with your children? He said he would give us the wisdom and prosper us and give us the ability to see inside that thing and to deal wisely with it. Proverbs 12, verse 28 says, In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway, therefore, there is no death. 1 Peter 3, 12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. If prosperity is part of it, then that means that the Lord's ears are attentive to us and He's watching out for us and He's he's going to promote us because He hears us and He sees us. That's a promise from the Word of God as a result of godliness. Proverbs 11.5 The righteousness 
of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. Promotion is a result, is the life, is what comes out of godliness. You don't know why, but you, you, you've got a, a respect and an honor for God and, and because that's what godliness is, right? Giving, devoting entirely to that reverence and that honor of God. And so we develop a lifestyle of honoring God. And whatever He says, whatever He convicts you, whatever, he, whatever quickens you, whatever twists you in your spirit, you make adjustments and you move on because you honor God more than you honor that thing. And you honor God more than you honor your flesh. And you honor God more than you honor those that come against it. And you make a choice to devote everything entirely to Him. And as a result, you see doors of promotion open up. And you don't know why. People have said, well, you're just lucky. No, 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 brother. No, 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 sister, it ain't luck. It's blessed and favored because promotion, and sometimes promotion and favor is working in your life and in my life and we don't even realize it. Sometimes the promotion in your life is a result of your parents, is a result of your spiritual parents or your godly parents, I mean your natural parents. It's a result of someone praying for you and interceding for you. Oh, believe me, I've got some. I see them, I know them. And you want to slap them because they don't realize the, the fact that they're still here and have any sense of goodness in their life or any sense is because of the grace and mercy of God and because they got to pray in mama or pray in daddy or pray in church. Promotion comes from the Lord. The third one is perpetuity or longevity. I'll say it like that, longevity. 1 Peter chapter 1, go there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. Incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, preserved, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who are kept. Kept. What does that mean? That means that godliness makes you live longer. Makes stuff last longer. I remember Pastor L.A. said one time, he said, we don't always realize... But godliness or, you know, honoring God with your tithe and your offering and honoring God in so many areas, sometimes you don't see the effects of it, but it makes your wash machine last longer than it would. It makes your car drive longer. It, it makes your house uh, not need painting as much. It, it makes your body so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. I mean, you're not going to look like you did when you was 20 if you're 50. But you, you don't have to look 50. You might can look 30. Or 40, 39 and holding. It's always, the, the Bible is full of, of, of things and promises of God that ensure not only long life, but a good life. I got a yes on that one. A, a good life. 
This life of following God and honoring God and, and being uh, walking in the light and the knowledge of the Word of God in your life is a good life. Let me, I'm going to give you a very profound statement. And I want you to write it down. I've, I've preached this message before and I stole it from a friend of mine. And I don't know if he came up with it or whether he stole it, but he never admitted it. But I want to give you this doctrine that I want you to write down on your heart. I want you to write it and post it all over the walls of your house or in your car. And I want you to remember this and never forget it. Okay? You ready? The Lord is good and the devil is bad. Did you get, do I need to spell it? Write it down. I mean, I know it's got some, some deep concepts in there. The Lord is good and His mercy... David said, endure us forever. The Lord is good and the devil is bad. Genesis, where Abraham received the promise of God, he said, look at the stars of the heaven. He said, I'll make your descendants outnumber them as many. The grains of sand upon the earth, he said, your descendants, you won't even be able to count. With long life, with long life, Psalm 91 said, I will satisfy him. What is long life? Somebody said, well, the definition of long, it depends on who you are, brother. It depends on your perspective. Long life. Long life could be 40. Not when everybody else is living to 60. Long life. What does that mean? That means you live longer than the average. He says, with long life will I satisfy him. Are you satisfied yet? Then keep living. Long life. You've, are you satisfied, Mr. Timmy? No. Are you satisfied? Brother Bill? Only halfway. Psalm 55, 23 says, Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. With long life. Are you bloody and deceitful? Mm -mm. Why? Not right there. John 3.16 Surely everyone knows this one. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not but have everlasting life. Well, you know what? Pastor, that's talking about the life to come. How come we always want to box God into heaven and never have any of God here on earth? When it's not scriptural, it's not proved out from the Word of God. We always try to fit God in a box so it makes us feel better. Well, you know, I ain't seen the evidence of this, so He must be talking about it in the sweet by and by. You know, we just got to hold on, brothers and sisters. Hold on. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -mm. I ain't holding on. I'm not, I'm not, I don't even want to sing no song about holding on. I want you to sing me a song that reminds, even if it looks like I need to hold on, I want you to sing me a song 
that tells me that I don't need to hold on. The victory's already been won. Sing me a song about victory. Sing me a song about the enemy being way down here down by your feet where he belongs. Sing me that song. I was thinking this morning about a song that said uh, there was something along these lines and it was in my head and I said, Lord, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I don't want to sing that song. I want to sing a song that tells me that the victory is mine. Well, you know, we just... You know, if you tell people, if you preach to people and you sing to people, that God got to be with you in everything. And all you got to do is hold on. Just hold on. Just hold on. I mean, what would the congregation look like if I just said, just hold on? Joy cometh in the morning. Hold on. And never talked about the morning. You know, we spend 95% of our time talking about the darkness and 5% of the time talking about the light. Just hold on, brother. Jesus is coming. Be strong, brother. Hold on. No, you don't need to hold, you don't need to hold on. The victory is yours. Stand up and let's join together in prayer and put our foot on that thing and say it's mine. The victory is here now. Not because you feel like it or because you think like it or because it don't look like it. You do it because the Word says it is like it. I'm going to preach myself happy. And last but not least, prosperity is insured by godliness. Joshua 1.8, we go back there, and he said, you will make your way prosperous. That's another one of them words we like to fit in a box and say, well, let's just talk about spiritual prosperity. The next time you watch the Dow Jones Industrial Average and they talk about the stocks prospered, they're not talking about spiritual. Well, brother, you can be prosperous and be broke. You can't even prove that scripturally. Prosperity is bursting forth in every area of your life. And when God shows up, every area of your life and my life is affected by the life and nature and the promises of God. Every area. And if there's an area that's not showing forth the prosperity and the breaking forth that God has promised, then you look at that thing and you declare it and you stand on God's word just like Joshua's life didn't look like it. I mean, could you imagine 40 years? I mean, some of us wouldn't have lasted 40 days. But like, Lord, I've, I mean, I said I could go do it, and you still, I mean, we still here. No, he stood strong. Endure hardship like a good soldier. Bad soldiers don't endure hardship. Like a good soldier, endure hardship. Yes, it's tough. Yes, sometimes it's long you got to wait 40 years, 20 years, 5 years, 10 years. you got to wait sometimes because God is working to get things out of the way or working behind the scenes and, and moving things and maneuvering things. Just listen, you know, you know what happens if we quit. You know what happens. What if Joshua would have quitted? What if Joshua would have quit? I made up a word, quitted. What if Joshua would have quit? He would never have seen the promised land. He would never have taken. But he held to the promise that God said, you will lead these people into the promised land, but you got to be patient. 
Because I don't want you dragging dead weight. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who sits in the counsel of the godly. Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now I can't tell you how long that season is. I can't tell you how long it takes for you to get from planting to reaping. I can't tell you all the ins and outs of in between. I can't tell you that that crop might look like it's lost or that crop might look like it's dead. I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is that God is not a liar. And His Word will not return unto you or to me void, but it will do and set out what it accomplishes to do. The only way it doesn't happen in our life is if we turn loose of it. We go back to Psalm 91, 16. With long life will I satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. Salvation is not broke. Salvation is not sick. Salvation is being saved and redeemed and put back in right standing, in right relationship, in right financial status, in right bodily status, mentally, physically, and and every other way. That is salvation. It means to be saved. It means to be delivered. It means to be set free. And in Proverbs 10 verse 16 it says, The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked is sin. Godliness will work these things out in our life. They will. They will. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. Listen, I I don't know a lot of things. And the more I study and the more I read and the more I devote myself to this calling and the more I study, I tell you there's more that I realize that I don't know than there is that I give myself credit for knowing. The more I study and the more I know and the more I walk with God, the more magnificent and the greater and the the wider the gap between me understanding all of Him and understanding some of Him gets larger. But He floods my life. He floods my, uh, my life and my spirit with knowledge and revelation because I'm going after Him, because I seek after Him. But I'm telling you, it is vastly... Uh, misunderstood what God desires to do for His children. Godliness, say this with me, godliness is profitable. What is godliness? It's a right respect, a right reverence, and an awe for God and His ways and His kingdom. Start there. Well, you know, I've talked to people before and they said, well, you know, I just want to get right before I come to church. Why don't you just get on your knees and bow before God, just like Peter did, and say, God, I am a sinful, sinful man. Have mercy on me. And watch your life flood 
with the power of, of that reverence and that awe in our lives, bringing things into our life, enabling us to live a life devoted to God. Stand with me as we pray. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Glory, glory, Lord. Hallelujah. Godliness is profitable for all things. Sometimes our life is the sum of our actions. Sometimes our life is the result of outcomes in our life or outcomes of things and choices that we've made. I'm going to propose to you a different way of looking at life. Look at life as the attitude of our heart towards God. And the actions and the, and the, and the, uh, the results of those actions and those decisions in our life, how about them coming forth out of the right heart and the right attitude for God, which will produce in us things that we've never imagined because we have a right honor and respect for God. Now, if we're over in a different part of the world, in a different culture, honor and respect may have a different connotation and meaning, but it means the same thing. It means to exalt something. It means to elevate it, to give its due honor and due respect. And I can tell you that in our society, we lack respect and we lack honor, but not the church. Let it not be said of the church. There's an honor and a respect that you bring when you come into this building that will determine what and how much you receive from the Lord. I know that's not shouting ground, but it's truth. You come in this door, and if you're the only one that expects to receive from God something. And I may be having a bad day. I mean a bad day. And I get up here and I'm just in the flesh. I promise you the anointing of God will come upon me just for you. Or God will speak to you in spite of me. Or in spite of whoever stands up here. Where's the respect and the honor and the reverence that we had, we used to have for church. You know, uh, ministers of the gospel, pastors used to be some of the most revered people in, in, the, in the community. It's not been that way for a while because the men of God and the people of God have dishonored God and we have not held Him in high respect and we use that godliness sometimes we have in the past as a means for gain. We use it as a means for status. We use it as a means for financial gain. Or we lose sight of what it is that God has called us to do. I remember um, Larry Stocksteel preached at the, uh, our conference last year. And he talked about, many of you don't, maybe don't know who Larry Stocksteel is, but he's, a, he's been around for years and he's a pastor. Now he's traveling all over the world, establishing schools. Just very successful, very diligent. But he preached to us, and he was the only one in the room with a tie on that day because that's, his, that's where he comes, that's his culture. But he said, listen, 
He said there is old school values and young vision. And we need to merge those two together. My generation has lost some of those old school values. Being a man of your word, being a woman of your word, walking in integrity, respecting and honoring the house of God. And the people, see, it's not just about coming in here and respecting and honoring this place. It's about respecting one another. If you are God's building, then I need to respect and honor you. That means if you do something to hurt me, rather than going and telling everybody and hurting you. We've lost that. And I'm saying to you that the, maybe the reason we haven't seen the fruit in, in the lives of the church as a whole is because we've lost the honor and respect for God. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like that. I don't want the Lord, I don't want the Lord to have to straighten me out. You know, when you discipline your children or or we discipline our, or we're instruct, I shouldn't say discipline. When we are training our children, we train them to refer to those that are older than them with respect and honor. Why? Because that's where it all starts, right there. And if you and I, individually and corporately, will begin to manifest that respect in a greater way towards one another and towards God and towards the people of God, the things of godliness will break forth in our life. Promotion, prosperity, protection, provision, longevity. It will. Show me someone who respects and honors God and honors the people of God and I'll show you someone who is God is working in their life. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. We honor you this morning and we bless you. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah.